0: welcome to the tournament poker edge podcasts brought to you by tournamentpokeredge.com the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy now here's your host clayton fletcher
1: hello once again everybody and welcome to the tournament poker edge podcast i'm your host clayton fletcher in fabulous las vegas I know that because there's a sign that says so when you first get to town. Uh, I'm still here playing in some of these uh, really fun live tournaments at the Venetian. I want to thank you guys for your kind remarks about our interview last week with first-time guest Simon Levy and those of you who have taken the uh, time to follow his mom. On Instagram, Felicia Madison, who is a, a comedian friend of mine, if you haven't listened to last week's episode. So I'm here in Vegas, and just yesterday, as I record this on Thursday, they announced that everybody is going to be required to wear masks indoors throughout the counties in Nevada where the COVID Delta variant thing is especially high. And of course that does include Clark County where Las Vegas is. So much to my dismay, if I want to play any more live poker on this trip, I will need to wear a mask at the table starting tomorrow. I understand we are concerned about the global pandemic, but I'm not happy because I'm fully vaccinated and therefore probably not likely to be part of the problem. In other COVID related news, The U S government recently announced that it has no plans to lift the travel ban from Europe anytime soon. Again, due to this Delta variant of COVID-19. Now, for those of you who aren't too versed in microbes, let me just tell you without getting too scientific that viruses tend to mutate. So this is not uncommon. Every year, the flu virus, reinvents itself and becomes different in order to try to fight to stay alive against all of our high-tech vaccinations. So I, for one, am not surprised that there is a Delta variant. I will be surprised if there aren't many, many more iterations of the novel coronavirus in the months and possibly even years to come. It's not like you just take the vaccine and then the thing goes away. This virus is fighting for its life and its new mutation is what they're calling the Delta variant, and it is causing a surge, as you've probably heard on the news. And so the federal government is trying very hard to fight it, and that means, quite possibly, that if the planned (laughs) fall WSOP actually ends up happening, and I do think it will, the number of European opponents as a percentage of the total could be substantially lower because in order to get here from Europe, you first have to take two weeks in a non-restricted country before you travel to the United States. And I just don't know how many European poker players would go through that level of rigmarole just to compete against us American donkeys in Nevada in October. So, Uh, Of course, this is a developing story and time will tell what happens. But I wanted to give you guys the update. Uh, When this news first broke, I was at the poker table and something came on TV on the local news. And I can tell you that none of my opponents were happy about it. And everyone is pretty much sick of COVID. So we shall see how much pushback there is among casino guests. This weekend. All right, another story I wanted to touch on before we get to some strategy from a couple of hands that I played uh, at the Venetian. I want to talk about this guy, Scott Robbins. I've actually played against him before. I don't know how many of you have heard this story already, but it, it just came out last week. Evidently, Scott was checking into the Borgata back in September of 2020 and One of the questions that was asked of him at check-in was, would you prefer a higher floor or a lower floor? And Scott surely joking said, I would like a higher floor in case I want to jump out the window. Now, do I like this joke? Certainly not. Do I think that it was a good idea or that it's ever a good idea to make a joke about suicide or if you're about to get on a plane to joke about having a bomb in your bag or anything like this is in that category, right? So front desk staff and customer facing employees are trained to pay serious attention to comments like this one. So she said, please do not do that. And then he said, well, okay, what if I jump out the window from a lower floor, then can I kill myself? And again, she said, don't do that. And, he said, according to his lawsuit, he said, I won't. And then added with a laugh, but since I wouldn't survive either way, I guess it doesn't matter what floor you give me. Okay. So apparently what happened next was a bit wild. Uh, she gave him a room on the 30th floor. So I'd like to talk to that desk clerk about if you suspect someone may be suicidal, why you would give him such a high floor. Um, And then the staff of the hotel came and basically forced him to go to the hospital where he was given a psychological evaluation that Scott Robbins himself had to pay for, by the way, and then it was deemed, or determined rather, that he was fit to survive in the world and that he was not suicidal or psychologically damaged in any way unless you count a terrible sense of humor. So, what happened next is absolutely unbelievable to me. When he returned to the Borgata and attempted to get back into his room on the 30th floor thereof, he determined that all of his belongings had already been removed from the room (laughs) by security, and he had to find somewhere else to stay. Furthermore, he was given a lifetime ban, meaning he is no longer allowed to set foot inside the Borgata. Okay, now I understand making bad jokes and that, you know, in light of things that have happened around the world in casinos with people committing suicide, it is a serious problem. It was definitely at a minimum in poor taste but to me this does not deserve a lifetime ban and I'm very surprised that the Borgata would give this player a lifetime ban if the side of his story that is written in his lawsuit against the Borgata and MGM its parent company then this is way too big of a punishment for the crime In my opinion, but speaking of things that are too big, this lawsuit, he is suing for $1.25 million, 28 actionable torts that the Borgata is alleged to have committed against him breach of contract libel, slander, defamation, breach of duty of a public accommodation, violation of civil rights, interference with prospective economic advantage and so on and so forth. so he's suing for 1.2 million dollars and he is a, a poker pro he's he's amassed over $400,000 in lifetime cashes in the last three years. That's all he's been playing, at least on the record. So we will see if the court awards him any damages, whether they can settle this case without actually going to court. But for those of you who miss my Mike Postle updates, you can look forward to the curious case of one Mr. Scott Robbins to be continued. All right, so let's talk about this tournament that I've been playing in. It's a $600 mega stack. I think that's what they called it. Ultimate stack. I don't know. You got a lot of chips, okay? Uh, The blinds in the beginning of the tournament are 100-100 with a 100 big blind ante, and you have 40,000 chips to start. The blinds last for 40 minutes, and... There are, I think, four starting days. And the tournament itself has a $600 buy-in and a $250,000 guarantee, which was absolutely smashed, as all guarantees in Vegas are being smashed. By the way, for those who may be curious what the scene is like here, a Monday in July this year feels like a Saturday in previous years in terms of crowd size, volume level, um, stakes of the table games, like basically everything. It just feels like every day is a weekend. And then Saturdays are so crowded. It's, it's actually unbearable for me. And I don't even mind crowds that much. So yeah, Vegas, as you may have heard is booming. But again, we shall see how this new mask mandate affects that and whether the boom will be curbed by that or not. But yeah, so all the tournaments that are running are just crushing guarantees, and every poker room has a wait wait list of people who want to play. So it feels like a bit of a post COVID heyday, and then they remind you that COVID is far from over. So anyway, uh, this tournament attracted a pretty diverse field. Some players I recognized, certainly. Others that I did not. And the first hand I want to discuss comes from level five of day 1A. So I got my feet wet. I wanted to jump in on the very first starting day and see how I do. So the blinds are 300, 500 with 500 ante. And our stack is down to 30k from the 40k starting stack, but we still, you know, we have 60 big blinds, our M is 22, this tournament allows for a lot of play, especially with 40 minute levels and a good structure, so we're not in panic mode or anything like that. The action folds to us in the hijack with Queen of Diamonds, Queen of Hearts. And there is one player at our table that I recognize. I haven't been at this table that long, but I certainly recognize Mark Safe. Some of you may recognize that name. He's done some commentary. He's got a few bracelets. He's uh, an old-school Vegas pro. His playing style tends to be pretty wild and loose, but obviously he's had a lot of success, so it won't be insane. So he's basically a professional live poker player who leans towards lag and probably is better than most at picking his spots. So I open, remember it's 300-500. I open with pocket queens to 1,200 from the hijack and it folds to Mark Safe in the big blind and he calls. Now we have 30K, he's only got about 19 or 20 himself. So we've got him covered and now with 3,200 in the pot. The flop comes. Queen of spades. Eight of hearts. Four of clubs. So, queen, eight, four, rainbow. And we flop the nuts with top set. Mark checks to us. Now, if the board could have been a little bit wetter, I would want to bet. I just feel like it's going to be very hard for us to get action. Yeah, he likes to make plays. He's got all the moves. But... There just aren't any draws, really, other than gut shots for him to semi-bluff on this board. So I felt like, and still do feel like, betting on this board is unlikely to get much action. And when you have the nuts, when you flop top set on a particularly dry queen eight four, I think you want action. So for those reasons, I decided to check. Another reason to check is because The effective SPR is right around six, and so it should be possible for us to get all in with him if he, in fact, has a strong hand himself. So not a guarantee, but I didn't see too much harm in checking behind. If you want to bet because you're going to have so many bluffs with your ace queen, I mean, your ace king, ace jack, and other hands like that that missed. I don't really mind it. But for me, it just feels like we will usually have all the cards worth having on this board, and so I checked it back. And the turn came the jack of clubs. So our board is now queen of spades, eight of hearts, four of clubs, jack of clubs, and Mark bets 2,300 into the 3,200 pot. Now I actually felt like he was strong in this spot, um, just based on my instincts and my reading ability, and just from studying him, it it just felt like he was strong. So if he is strong, he's got something like Queen Jack or Jack Eight. Uh, pocket fours or the dreaded 10 9, <laughs> which would be a nuts versus second nuts situation. He could also have picked up a club draw and just be bluffing, and my read of him being strong is off. I mean, obviously, these kinds of reads, especially against experienced opponents, are nowhere near 100% reliable. And that's why I really only use my sense of someone else's strength to break a tie. In what would otherwise be a very close decision. So that's how much weight I put on my ability to read my opponents. I would not bet my tournament life that he was strong. But I felt like he was. So with that in mind, should we raise it right now? Or are we better off waiting until the river? And I think it's pretty close between the two options. We're never folding. Uh, But it's just a question of whether we want to raise now or call and look to get the money in on on the end. So given that I thought he was strong, I decided that there was no harm in just flat calling. The other way to look at it is he's strong, so we might as well raise it now before that third club or other scare card comes off on the river. Let's get the money when getting the money is good especially if he has a hand like jack-eight, some of those two-pair type of hands. I'm picking jack-eight because that's the two-pair hand that I can actually block. Uh, If the river comes, for example, an ace, he's good enough to actually get away from a worse two-pair than what I could have with a hand like ace-queen or something. So there are some river cards that aren't clubs that may scare him. Also cards that straighten out the board a little bit more. So it might be best to raise it here. I think it's a close one. And in this instance, I decided to just call the 2300. So now with 7800 in the pot and our opponent with only 16000 ish behind the river comes the deuce of hearts, the ultimate brick. For the final board of uh, Queen 8 4 Jack Deuce with two clubs and into 7,800, safe leads out for 5,500. All right, this is a strong, strong bet. He is representing the Nuts 10 9 or some other set. I don't think that he's ever going to have pocket jacks, though, because he is the type of player that would have absolutely close to 100% of the time three bet pre-flop with that hand, especially from the big blind, especially with his stack size being what it was. I just thought that we could pretty much rule out pocket jacks unless he was just being too tricky for his or anyone else's own good. So I wasn't. Thinking about jacks, I thought it's possible he could play pocket eights this way, Uh, certainly pocket fours, but now this bet sizing didn't feel like jack eight could be too big of a part of his range. Uh, Maybe he rivered (laughs) a set of deuces, but I really doubt that he would bet 2,300 on four street with pocket deuces, so that one is also going to be heavily discounted so the problem for us is we have the second nuts on this river we still have the second nuts there's only one straight available and it's 10-9 everything else that he would play this way we can beat so do we want to balance the importance of surviving and hanging on to these precious chips with the fact that we could just call with the second nuts and sometimes he'll turn over a hand that would have called a shove. So I don't know. I think this is another close spot. That's why I really picked out this hand. You know, If we just call here and he turns over pocket eights or pocket fours, then I think we're going to really kick ourselves because I don't think he can fold those hands to a shove, right? Especially not knowing me, he can talk himself into, well, maybe Clayton is overplaying pocket aces or even ace queen, pocket kings those hands that are still relatively strong on this relatively dry board. So when we are deciding whether to just call this pretty sizable 5,500 here on the river or shove, I think the real factor is can we get value from worse? Do we have a value shove? Now, obviously, some of Mark Safe's range in this spot is going to consist of hands that completely missed, like anything that picked up a club draw on the turn, other gut shots that he got excited and and overplayed on the turn. Like those are all possibilities. He is a loose aggressive opponent for sure. So we're not getting any more value from those hands, obviously. So it's really about the pocket fours, pocket eights, possibly jack eight, possibly queen jack, although we do block that, of course. So there aren't that many hands that can give us value either. So I decided to move all in. And I was not happy when he called without thinking because it means he can only have one thing. And sure enough, it was the 10-9 off suit. So we had a nuts versus second nuts situation. Now, I don't want to cry to you guys about a cooler. I want to know whether we think shoving or calling on this river is the play remember our opponent is extremely loose extremely aggressive and likes to put chips into the pot okay so with that in mind do we still think that it's better to just call in case of the 10-9 so let me know what you guys think you can send me your answers on Twitter at Clayton comic always appreciate the tweets uh, I prefer public tweets. I know a lot of you guys have been kind of DMing me. If you're shy, that's okay. You can my DMs are open at Clayton Comic on Twitter, but I would appreciate it if you guys would make the discussion more public so that everyone can benefit together. So anyway, after that hand, I was down to like only 10,000-ish and I wasn't able to get back into contention. However, I was able to buy in again on another day. Now, one thing I really like about this tournament, by the way, is they didn't have unlimited re-entries all day. It was a freeze-out per flight. So if they had three or four starting days on each of those starting days, you could only buy in once. And I kind of like that structure because sometimes it feels like players with larger bankrolls are often at a bit of an advantage because they can afford to buy in multiple times and everything. And I'm including myself in that. I mean, I imagine my bankroll is a, a bit larger than the typical $600 tournament player at Venetian. I mean, certainly some of these guys have a lot more money than I do, but I feel like my ability to take a gamble early, knowing that I can buy in again for 600 bucks if I so choose, gives me a bit of it of an advantage in a tournament like this one. If my opponent is sure that he or she can only play the one $600 bullet. And the, the only way it really benefits is that such opponents might be less inclined to call with a big draw or go for a coin flip. When they say, you know what, if I miss this, I have to call it a day and that's no good. Whereas, somebody with a larger bankroll can say, well, if I lose this coin flip, I can just take another 600 bucks and get myself another 40,000 starting stack. So that's not fair to everyone. So I really like this structure because it means that the playing field is more level and having a larger bankroll doesn't give anyone any type of advantage and I like that. So anyway, I bought in again, this time I played on Saturday And if you're going to do one of these kinds of tournaments, guys, I highly recommend you do it on a Saturday. Uh, I found the field on Saturday substantially softer. They even looked softer, like physically. (laughs) No, I mean, you could just tell, you know, if you've been around poker for a long time, you can tell when you're surrounded by sharks and you can tell when you're surrounded by minnows. And this was a much more minnow-heavy field. And if anyone hasn't, informed you guys live poker itself is pretty hot lately so uh, i bought in again and very early on a very interesting (laughs) i think this is a pretty interesting hand let me know what you guys think and by the way if you're interested in improving your own poker game i think you should visit tournamentpokeredge.com not only because this is their podcast but also because they are just there's no other website like tpe tournamentpokeredge.com we have thousands and thousands of hours of video training from some of the top minds in poker we're talking about colin moshman alex fitzgerald andrew brokus daryl jace casey Jarzebek and on and on and on so many great videos and so much incredible content for only 25 dollars a month with your annual subscription so i highly recommend it and just give it a try and then Go on Twitter and tell me how happy you are that you finally decided to purchase that membership. All right, so back to the hand. We are in the level one. It's 100-100 with a 100 big blind ante, and we have right around a 40K starting stack, as do most of our opponents. So the action folds, Oh, sorry, the very first thing that happens is one fold and then An older, uh, clueless-looking guy with, like, super messy hair and just kind of a bewildered look on his face limps in from second position, you know, as you do. And then the uh, action folds around to the button, who is this gigantic fellow, uh, and I think he was maybe from Georgia or possibly Texas, but certainly some part of the southern half of the United States of America and he decides to raise to 500. Now I haven't been playing with any of these guys for very long but I thought that this button raise could mean a lot of different things possibly so I wasn't quite ready to put him on a specific hand at that point. But I'm in the big blind with Jack 10 of spades. Jack of spades 10 of spades. So Uh, I decide to call. I think you can certainly fold if you just don't want to play a hand from out of position for five times the big blind. I mean, it is certainly a large raise pre-flop. And there will be times when you can flop a top pair of jacks or tens and end up losing a ton of chips because your pair isn't any good. And that is something that will happen and hurt more when we're out of position You just have to guess more from out of position. So if you like to take the conservative approach and this hand isn't quite strong enough for you to call 500 with, I am totally fine with that. Uh, If you told me that you'd like to three bet with this hand, I mean, I wouldn't, but you know, at this stack depth, 40,000 big blinds when it's 400 big blinds, it's 40,000 chips, 400 big blinds. Really, any pre-flop decision is justifiable, to be honest. So that's all well and good. I decide to call. I want to see a flop. I don't mind being out of position against one or at most two opponents against whom I feel I have a substantial skill advantage. Okay, so I call, and the limper calls as well. So let's get it on. Uh, The flop comes. King of clubs, queen of hearts, five of spades. So we have an open-ended straight draw with our jack 10 of spades. And we also now have three to a flush as well, also known as a backdoor flush draw. So certainly an above average flop for us. And the action is on hero, Clayton. What should I do? You can actually donk here, guys. I mean, I'm going to want to be able to lead out. When I have really strong hands like a set of fives or king queen, um, I definitely would like to be able to bet those hands. And in order to do that, I need to have some draws. And there really aren't any draws available other than jack 10. But I did not do that in this situation. And here's why. I don't really feel that it's necessary to balance my donk leading range against opponents who have no idea what those words mean. So if you're playing against really tough opponents and you're afraid that they'll be able to get a read on you, if you don't balance your strategy and have all that GTO kind of mindset, then that's different. This is just a pot where we have an open ender against two very loose opponents who are pretty unlikely to fold (laughs) if we bluff. So that's why I decided to just check and hope that it does check around and the limper checks and then the original raiser our southern friend bets 700 into the 1700 pot so action on clayton do we want to go for the check raise here with our open ender knowing that there are a lot of cards that don't make the straight that we can barrel again namely all the spades in the deck Or do we think it's better to just call and try to hit the nuts on 4th Street? I decided to call. Uh, As you guys know, my natural playing style is I love to find spots to raise, to check raise, to four bet, bluff, like I love bluffing. To me, that is the essence of poker and what separates the good players from the great ones is that they can find the moments to be aggressive that make sense and earn a profit whether you make your hand or not but against opponents like the ones i'm describing to you guys i'm going to strongly recommend you apply a different strategy against these opponents i think the way we want to play guys is make a hand first and then bet it relentlessly okay i think that's the strategy against these opponents rather than trying to find sophisticated bluffs. I mean, look, these guys are not going to fold if they have any piece of this board. And the fact that the original Razor just bet into two opponents makes me think he will often have a piece of the board. I think that continuation bets are much more rare in multi-way pots than they are heads up. And I also think that a board that has a king and a queen on it is more likely than an average flop to have hit one or both of my opponents. Therefore, I just want to call and see if we can make a hand. The other player also calls. So all three of us are still in the pot. And now with 3,800 in the middle, the turn comes the six of diamonds. So our board is now king, queen, five, six, Badoogie. So now what should we do? Do we want to lead out maybe with a blocking bet, right? I mean, it's unlikely that we're going to get raised unless one of our opponents has a monster, meaning two pair or better. And because we're not too concerned about getting raised, there's a decent chance that we can get a blocking bet through, meaning that it will either take it down, which would be a great outcome with jack high. or We can set a price that we'd rather pay than the price we might have to pay if we check. In other words, if we think there's a good chance our opponent will bet, say, 1,500 into this 3,800 pot if we check to him again, but if we bet 1,000 or even 900, he'll just call, then we should do that, but only if we think there's a good chance he's going to bet again. And this is why I did not go for the block here. I think that unless our opponent has a very strong king or better, he's just not going to bet on fourth street. So if he has something like king 10, I actually think he's going to check behind if only we let him. So when he has a pair of kings or even a pair of queens, our blocking bet is going to get called. But... Unless he has a very strong pair, when we check, he's going to check and give us a free card. So we can't get a free card by betting. We need to check and try to get that free card. Now, again, the strategy is you want to make a hand and then bet it against opponents like these. All right, so we just check, and it checks around, and Clayton is so delighted because I get to see the river card, and it is... The tray of hearts for a final board of king, queen, five, six, tray, no flush. So we still have jack high. How many of you want to lead out with a big polarizing bluff here and represent something like seven, four, or even an ace, king, or something? Who wants to do that? Because I don't. I don't like bluffing especially against two opponents, both of whom are known to be unsophisticated and generally very loose. So I decided to check and I'm planning to lose the pot and imagine my shock when it checked around and I won it. (laughs) I'm not sure if I've ever won a multi multi multi-way pot with just jack high before, but in this case I did. And a lot of questions come to mind. Uh, the original Razor claims 9-8 suited, so I guess he picked up a gut shot on the turn and didn't bet. Uh, but certainly, if it checks all the way down and you're sitting there with 9 high, I think you have to bet your hand, right? Uh, and try to try to bluff everybody. It's pretty hopeless otherwise, but maybe in the games that he's accustomed to, Bluffs like that don't work either. So it it just check, 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 check. And Jack High wins the pot. So very interesting to me. There's no way that Ryan LaPlante or or Stephen Chidwick or Elio Fox is going to check behind after your opponents have shown such weakness and you're sitting there with 9-8. So... Uh, That's just something that it kind of demonstrated to me why better players find spots to be more aggressive. I mean, I think many of us would probably have bet the gut shot on the turn. But even if we skip that opportunity, you've got to turn the bottom of your range into a bluff at least some of the time. And it doesn't get much more bottom than 9-8. We never did learn what the uh, original limper had but he limped in from early position and called 400 more with a hand that couldn't beat Jack High alright that'll do it for this episode hope you guys enjoyed it I'm certainly enjoying my trip to Vegas although as yet it is not profitable hopefully by next week's episode things will turn around here and I will have some good news to share from Sin City so for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.
0: I want to hold them like they do in Texas please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I luck and intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Oh, wow.